0: Whatever's out of your control, the people you run into who are energy vampires, sometimes you can't get away from them. Um, But there's a lot of things that are in our control. And for the things that are in our control, and a lot of those things are, what do you eat? You know, what are you actually putting in your mouth? Now, I know there's food deserts and other things out there that are difficult, but still, we can sometimes make better choices. How much are we sleeping? Are we thinking too much about something when we could actually be spending more time either working out or sleeping or spending time with our friends. Um, I, I just think time connects all of it. And then the final part about that um, is what if, you can, what if you can dilate this idea of what can I do in five or 10 years?
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Executive Health and Life. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, and today we are talking about vitality. Vitality is a word that is thrown around oftentimes, and I wonder, if you're like me, have you ever stopped to think about, what is vitality? What does that even mean? What does that mean to me? And I'm talking with the guy who wrote the book on vitality, and a couple quotes that I loved from the book is, vitality is a process, not a state of being vitality is a personal journey not a destination your vitality is also not carved in stone by your genes your financial situation or social status it can be modified and elevated by the choices you make but the most important this is the big part here the most important step in your vitality journey is that only you can choose to be vital so i'm speaking with dr alan mishra he's a board certified orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine specialist, the founder of VitalityExplorers.com, and his purpose is to enhance global vitality one person at a time. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Mishra, the surgeon scientist.
0: How's it going today? Julian, wow. Um, When you read that about vitality, I was like, wow, who wrote that? And and so I think I need to back up a little bit and just, again, thank you for the opportunity to speak Mm -hmm. with you and your audience um, working and helping people enhance their vitality is an incredible uh, honor and joy for me. Um, and I think when, when you're asking that question of what does that mean, it reminds me of this, the story of how I got started on that. And so maybe if it's okay, I'd like to tell you in the audience of how I got started figure, trying to figure out what that word meant.
1: Absolutely. And- you, you know, that, that's going to be one of my first questions.
0: Okay, good. Because uh, I think it's fun. It's interesting is that five, almost, gosh, it's six years ago now, I got invited to speak at a, a meeting in Hong Kong on some of my platelet-rich plasma uh, work that I've done for, for a long period of time. And it happened to be literally on my birthday in July, and I was trying to convince my family to go with me until my my wife looked up what the temperature in Hong Kong is in July, and it's like 95 degrees and 150% humidity, and she's like, I'm not going to Hong Kong. Um, and as a family, we'd always wanted to go to Australia, and it's not exactly close, but it's it's just sort of in the same hemisphere. So prior to my meeting in Hong Kong, we went on an awesome two-week vacation to Australia. And we finished up that vacation in a, in a small town called Port Douglas. And one of the massive checkboxes for me lifetime was to go scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef, which I got a chance to do. And then um, each, each morning in this little town, which is about, I don't know, in the northern part of um, Eastern Australia, uh it's you know it's maybe i don't know how i don't know how many miles north of sydney of it but if you think you know where sydney is and you go north that's where you find the great barrier reef in this small town but this awesome beach called the four mile beach and i would go for a run on the beach about two miles down the beach take a little swim in this awesome beautiful sea called the coral sea which extends out to where the great barrier reef is and then come back run about two miles and one of my things was i was a track guy in high school and I love the, the movie Chariots of Fire way before your time. But um, I, I would be running in just my shorts, no shirt, no shoes, my feet splashing. And I'm feeling, wow, this is this is cool. And of course, my phone didn't work. I've been on vacation for almost two weeks. And the last day I'm standing there under this 80 foot tall palm tree, looking out at the, the beautiful um, sea. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel vital. Um, And then it was like this lightning bolt hit me. I'm like, what does that word really mean? And because I've done a lot of biologic research on blood and blood products related to tendinitis and arthritis and degenerative disc disease. When I came back from my meeting in Hong Kong, I spent about a year literally looking for a biomarker. Like, okay, it's in my blood. It's in my bone marrow. It's in my genes. I did my genome. I did, you know, things like salivary cortisol and heart rate variability, and lots and lots of blood work until I realized, yes, your physical vitality is a component of your overall vitality, but that's just one part of it. And that led me to realize that vitality is, a, is not just one thing, but it's a constellation of skills based on the pillars of physical, mental, social, and spiritual vitality. And the, the reason I, why I call it Vitality Explorers is since that journey, since that day, I have been on an awesome journey to understand what that word means and how to optimize it for myself, my students, my family, and and, and the world. So it's a great honor to, to speak again to you and your audience.
1: What's been one of your biggest revelations in terms of uh, exploring
0: your own vitality? Well, part of, part of it was very selfish because uh, after a certain age, which I'm not gonna mention, uh, you start to go downhill and it starts to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy to tell you that I actually feel and can do the things I like to do better than I could six years ago, which is pretty staggering uh, considering I'm a re- relatively advanced age. I'll, actually, I'll tell your audience I'm, I'm 58, almost 59 years old, um, but I have not experienced a significant decline in my ability to do things like ski or participate in triathlons or golf or hike. Um, or perform what I need to do for my, my day job as an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, which is actually quite physical at times. Um, and, and it's not that, I, I don't think I got lucky. So the, the revelation that I had over the time is sort of the thesis I have is that vitality is a skill. And as I said, a constellation of skills. So it's working on your physical vitality but it's also working on your mental social and spiritual vitality into something that i think you might have bumped into in the book i call it the vitality octagon Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's that's what i've been working on
1: Hmm. spiritual so let's start with one of those pillars Uh, and so when we hear spiritual that's a that's a very broad term so how do you define spiritual well-being
0: I think it's a great place to start because it's usually the place we finish. Mm -hmm. And if you if you think about what that word means, it means something different to almost every person on the planet. It can mean a belief in God. It can mean a belief in a cause. But here's my definition. Spirituality is a belief in something bigger than yourself. Okay. now, what that means is you can't be selfish all the time and be your most vital self. So for me, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, but I don't tell people you ha- what they have to believe. Other, other than this, is that if you just believe in you and optimizing whatever is best for you, whether that's your finances, that's your power, that's your position, that's whatever you want, whatever you want. Um, my secondary hypothesis is you will never become your most vital self because what I've discovered and rediscovered is that identifying your your skill set. And using that in the service of others. Okay. And, and that can mean a lot of different things, but helping other people is a f- seriously underrecognized vitality enhancer. And so when I when I do my best with my job as an orthopedic surgeon or my job as a instructor in, in vitality, and I help somebody else, I see my own vitality soar. But it doesn't even have to be something that complex. It could be helping you know, your, your mom and your sister, your son, your daughter, who's struggling in, in school or with a health problem. It could be supporting a cause that really needs your skill set. I think that's the key thing is matching what you have an intrinsic interest or an ability to do with somebody who needs that. That's mm-hmm. awesome if you get paid for it, of course. <laughs> um, but even if you don't get paid for it, when you are doing what you are supposed to do in the service of others, your spiritual vitality and overall vitality soar. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I see. I think that's the one that's left off a lot of times is that you could, you can see a lot of material success, and you can almost just have that void, that 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 feeling of emptiness. It's very hollow, and.
0: But that's really, that's really true. So I've been living and practicing in Silicon Valley for 25 mm-hmm. years, Julian, and I have seen and <laughs> taking care of some very, very important people, just ask them. And I've seen taking care of some people who are, you know, very, very financially well off or very powerful. And to a person, I would suggest to you, there's a couple lessons I've learned by being in and around them. And uh, on the success side, I think it's kind of an important one. We can maybe pivot back to that is how do these people become so successful from a worldly perspective? And when I started interviewing people for my book several years ago, I heard the same thing over and over and over again. And that was they had the ability to silence the voice of judgment in their head.
1: Mm-hmm. So it
0: is it that they had didn't have disbelief it was that they were able to overcome that disbelief that they either had in themselves or that other people had for them. And then the second, which is a little, it's the opposite. So they have this incredible power to kick that little devil off their shoulder and say, look, you know, the devil who's telling you, oh, you can't do it. You can't do it. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to look like an idiot. Um, They can get rid of that voice in their head. But the opposite problem sometimes occurs is that they seem to have everything that some people want and they're still lacking. And there's, like you, I think you described it. There's a hollowness. Mm-hmm. There's a yearning in them that can only be filled, in my opinion, not my opinion alone, a lot of people believe this, is by, by helping other people with whatever they're supposed to do. So um, I, I, I help try to help people go, okay, oh, you want to be super successful, silence, avoid, voice of judgment, dream greatly, things like that. But along the way, learn how to use whatever you have to help other people, and that will ultimately lead to much more satisfaction and much more vitality. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a – and I forgot to even mention that you – like this book, you also – have a course on it that you teach every? Is it every semester or is this one? Well,
0: I've I've taught the course now, Julian, for eight times uh, through Stanford Continuing Studies, and and you know the 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 book does serve as the the textbook for the required textbook for the course, but what it what it really is is just a framework for people to help understand because I, I didn't know I didn't know where to start. Actually, I started where I thought would would be best, and I know you as an athlete appreciate this. Um, I'm a former, former athlete, but, you know, I've dealt with lots and lots of athletes over many, many years in my career, uh, from high school through professional and Olympic. I was the, um, one of the team doctors for the United States Olympic decathlon team. Uh, I've worked with lots of different organizations. So that's where I started. I'm like, okay, I can figure out how to optimize my physical vitality. Um, and especially in the context of getting older. Um, but what I needed a lot of help with and still need a lot of help with and, is how do you optimize your mental resilience? How do you optimize your mental health? Mm-hmm. And here's where I sucked. Okay, I'll tell you. Can I tell you a second story?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> okay. So the second story is okay. I'm about two two and a half years into my vitality exploration journey, and I actually had three pillars. Okay, not four, but three. And I went to my my pastor at my church, who was a friend of mine and a good writer, and and he he looked at me. And he goes, you know. You're missing a pillar, and I go no, no, no. I, I got the I got the spiritual pillar in there. He goes, no, you're missing the social pillar, and I'm like, oh. no, and I, I go, really? So I have to give him credit because he didn't say, oh, you know, God, this, God, that. He just said, yeah, God's important, but you're you're super. You know, I'm, I'm married, I have one one daughter, very busy. It's and I'm I'm a big extrovert. I love to hang out with my friends, but I had neglected my social vitality because I was so busy and so focused on other things. And so what he did is two things. He gave me permission to say, that's okay. You know. Push pause on work, push pause on your family and go have fun with your friends. I'm like, oh, can I do that? And, and the more I took a dive into that, scientifically diving into the social component of our vitality, it's equivalent to the other three, if not more important because of what we've gone through with COVID and the social isolation, And again, it's also a skill now, like when we're in, in, you know, middle school or high school or college, we don't need to be told to have fun. We don't need to be told to go hang out with our friends. We do do that in preference to doing our homework or doing anything else, right? Um, And that's actually what's most important to us when we're in middle school, high school or college and beyond. We start to drift away from that. We, We may get into a relationship. We may have a family. We have more responsibilities with work. And here's the interesting data on your social connections is it takes a ton of time, like developing an acquaintance takes maybe 10 to 20 hours. Developing a a decent friend takes 50 plus hours and developing a really close friend takes over 100 hours. Now, that's that's not that hard. This is actually peer reviewed published data, but that's not hard to do when you're in middle school or high school or especially if you're in college somewhere because you're spending a lot of time with people right Mm -hmm. but once you're into a busy job busy relationship and especially with the isolation and, and you can do a little bit of that via zoom or via a phone call but it's it's better if it's done in person the second thing my pastor did is he he said well he didn't tell me originally but he he nominated me to give a talk at google and I, and, I, and and only later did he tell me that I got in, and I'm like, oh, well, what 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 are you? What am I supposed to talk about? Because we well, were supposed to talk about vitality. I go, what? And and I, I said at Google, we're supposed to talk about spirituality and vitality at Google, on the campus. On the, you mean like where they where they do all their Google stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah. He, I said, well, were you going to tell me? You know, I mean? He goes, no, I wasn't sure you'd get in, but you got in, so you got to do it. And, <laughs> and it was awesome scary. Um, And that was, I think that was three years ago. That was pre-COVID. So it was three or four years ago. But what he forced me to do is get out of my level of comfort. And he believed in me more than I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. So as you're going along your vitality journey, having mentors, having friends or family members that are helpful is so important, but you got to be vulnerable with them. You got to also listen to some of their advice and and he provided me with amazing advice and, and great opportunities to to explore uh, vitality which has become something that is mm-hmm.
1: yeah i can totally relate to the to the social one and um and how that's neglected especially because you you get so busy doing other things, and like you said, especially you know I look at especially if you're early in your journey and you're you're in this stage of you're, you're just very ambitious. You want to take over the world. You're at that stage, yeah. and right. you you kind of say, "I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it." And so I'm guilty of that a little bit. And and, and as I, as I was going through that, thinking with with the socials, is that. I was like, I raised my hand at that. That's probably the weakest one that I'm on right there. Like I have a great faith in and uh, the, the mental, the physical is, is all of it can improve. But the social one was the weakest one. And um, even with mentorship that I have that I've been identified as well is to kind of branch out a little more. Don't forget people. Don't forget people. It's always people, people, you know, people.
0: Well, it's actually quite interesting if you look at these long, long-term Harvard studies on you know what constitutes a great life. And I mean, these are 80 plus year studies now. And what matters most at the end of the day are your relationships. And so when I suggest to, to my students and to myself, and you know, I call it your vitality bank account. And now, you know, if you go to the gym and you you pound out, you know, some some cardio or you pound out some weightlifting. If you could put five virtual dollars in your bank account or you're, you know, you're working on your breathing techniques to help with your stress and anxiety or you have something that you believe in that's, you know, bigger than you, whether that's a social cause or a spiritual cause. But if you got five bucks every time you called one of your buddies up and had a beer, you, you just, you know, listened. And, you know, a small story about that is three or three plus years ago when I started doing that. I would reach out to my my guy friends who are similar age. And I, and I think women sometimes are much better at this, like a lot of things than guys are. Uh, my wife has a great book slash wine club that she does. She has other things she does, but I, the, the guys just didn't get together except when they were on the margins of being able to do that. So I, I sort of instituted this once or twice a month, which is. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're starting from zero and you're going, okay, twice a month, I'm going to go out for two hours with at least one or two of my friends. And, you know, maybe we're going to have dinner together. Maybe we're going to have a drink together. Maybe we're just going to go for a hike together, whatever it is, um, and try to keep that to three, four, no more than six people, because sometimes if it gets into too big a crowd, you just can't have decent conversations. And having meaningful conversations and doing what I call scary sharing is what I started practicing. Now, Julian, I I, I grew up with a lot of challenges. Um, you know, some people have asked me about that before. If you, you've read through the book or something, part of it, you understand I lost my mom when I was nine. Uh, I, I grew up what, with a single dad and two brothers and no money. And um, I, I mean, I I knew how to spell adversity, let's put it that way. Um, But now sometimes people look at me from the outside and they're like, oh, oh, you know, you seem like you've got a great situation. And that's very true. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, So when I try to do what I call scary sharing with my friends right now, um, it's not major issues. OK, but I might say something like, OK, I've had a little problem here, a little problem there. And, you know, if it's the more difficult it is to share, the more vulnerable I am about it what happened was something amazing. And these are people from the outside, you would look at them and you'd say, Oh my God, there's nothing wrong. I got at all. They would start sharing how difficult their marriage was. They would start saying, Oh, I just got sued and I don't want to talk about it. Or they would say things like, you know, my mom's dying of, of, of skin cancer and it's just been a terrible situation. And then, you know, so they open, these are very close friends of mine that didn't want to open up to me. But when I became a little bit vulnerable, they became a lot vulnerable and then we we created these you know virtual lock boxes around whatever we were talking about and that is the key to enhancing your social vitality and that's it's great to go play golf or go have fun but having a person and, and I, I try to tell people you should develop sort of your vitality squad so if you are great at, your physical well-being, be that person for somebody else. Drag them to the gym. Cause there's a lot of people, I don't need to be told to go to the gym or go to workout. Like I gotta stop because I sometimes do too much. Um, but other people need somebody to say, hey, let's go for a hike. Let's go for mm-hmm. just something, not something that maybe Julian, you would consider to be a serious workout. Uh, can they maybe be intimidated by you because oh I can't be who he is. He's a stud, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other side of the equation is I have a friend who's like a 12 out of 10 on the social vitality scale. And he he became sort of my Pied Piper. And he's like, oh, man, you're actually coming out and doing stuff now. You know, you've been a hermit for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So working within your level of skill, having other people help you, helping other people with what you're good at, these are all components of it, uh, of, of, of your personal sense of vitality. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and I think that covers a lot of one of the uh, the vitality octagons of closeness right there.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so one of the other octagons that I was um, – I really enjoyed was the time pillar. So yeah, let's, let's go, let's go into that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that is okay. As I think I told you, I've been doing my Stanford vitality class uh, for eight times now and just finished it a couple of weeks ago. And the number one thing that people tell me that I help them with is their time. Mm -hmm. And so your time is your most important non-renewable vitality asset. okay So we're all given 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes, you know in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. And how we optimize our time remaining is a measurement of our vitality. Now when I say that sometimes people, go, you're talking about we're going to die? You know, well, that's the ultimate version of it. But are you going to optimize your day? Are you going to optimize the next hour? Are you going to optimize the next minute? Let's start with the minute. So Julian, when I'm talking to you right now, I am trying to what I call live in the now. Now, I've got my phone over here. I could go play with my phone or look at my text messages. Mm -hmm. Um, I could try to, you know, go into the past or drift into the future and worry about whatever's happening in an hour or whatever happened two hours ago when I was in my office, which was a crazy, crazy office this morning of patients. Um, But if I don't live in the now, it's going to be gone, Mm -hmm. okay? And when you try to define what now is, you're going to go a little crazy because it's really just that tiny, tiny pivot point between the past and the future. And some of the suggestions I have are pay attention to people when they're talking to you. Don't look at your phone. Look them in the eye if you can. Listen with the intent of hearing what they have to say, especially if you disagree with them, okay? Because too often we bring our own you know, inherent biases to a conversation about whatever it is and one of the major things that I, that destroys my vitality is a, an inability for us to, to try to see other people's perspectives. Um, so if you're not living in the now, you're, you cannot be your most vital self. And then when you start to, to drift into the next section of that and you say, okay, what can I do with time? And this, I have this concept of thinking with time in mind. So every morning I have my list of things I got to do. Uh, written down, you know, operation, surgery, you know, whatever meetings I have, podcasts. Um, and I'm not going to forget those, but I prioritize those and I reprioritize those. And then sometimes I drive my wife a little crazy because I'll look like I'm staring off into space like this. She goes, what are you doing? Oh, you're thinking with time in mind. OK. And so the reason for that is is—is this is an a- I have all these aphorisms. I'm like a comedian who's been trying out his jokes for a while, but I'll try this one out on you. Is <laughs> thinking with time in mind or thinking about how you spend your time is never a waste of time so sometimes we just go okay i got all the things to do," and i'm too busy i'm too busy but if you really take a step back and you look at how you're spending your day how you're spending your time and your energy like you you know you only have a fixed amount of both in a given day you might be able to start to plug a few life leaks that you have that are costing you time and energy doom scrolling on your phone, complaining, gossiping, you know, um, you know, worrying about the past too much or worrying about the future too much. All of those are time and vitality sucks. Uh, and what I mean by sucks is it's just draining you of your time and your vitality and your energy. And then if you if you go to the, the next level and you say, OK, what could I do with time? We have a, we have sort of a narrow window of when we can think about our time. It starts to get blurry past about a month or two. Actually, real peer-reviewed published data. And part of what I like to do, Julian, with Vitality Explorers, is to always have it backed up by data. So, mm-hmm. uh, and whenever possible, the stuff I put on my Vitality Explorer Substack site or out on, uh, in the book or anywhere has you know elite peer-reviewed uh, published information. So the cool cool part about reading that is this idea of your your future self getting blurry is real. Okay, so. If I say to you, what are you going to do in three months? Eh, You're not going to get there. If I say, where is Julian going to be in a year? Mm -hmm. But if I ask you, where are you going to do or what are you going to do with your next million seconds? Mm -hmm. Kind of tilt your head at me and go, okay, how long is that? It's about 11 and a half days. But you can think about that. So today when we're recording, this happens to be a Wednesday. So by next Friday or Saturday, what could Julian, or by the way, anybody in this audience Mm -hmm. do with their next million seconds. Now, if you really spend 10, 15 minutes thinking about that, you could break it down by physical, mental, social, or spiritual. You could pick one thing. I want to lose two pounds in 10 days. I want to go to the gym four four times in the next 10 days. I want to reconnect with three of my friends. I want to try to serve somebody in need, you know, whatever you want to do, but be specific, concrete, and then actionable. So by next Friday, by next Saturday, a million seconds from now, I I, I put it on what I call my to-done list, which, Julian, I don't think I've, I put that in the book, but that's a very powerful concept. You're not going to put it on your to-do list. You're going to put it on your to-done list. And the, and the semantics of that matter. I will have done this. So, And then when you try to say, okay, what do I really have to do to have done this? Now, mm-hmm. what do I have to do to, to do it? What do I have to do to have done it? backs it up into the little steps. Am I going to eat that extra piece of pizza tonight? No, I said, I'm going to lose two pounds in 10 days. Am I going to go to the gym four times? Well, I better, I'm tired today, but I only have seven more days. So I got to put more, I can go to the gym. Um, Very powerful. And then taking ownership over that, right? Taking responsibility for those choices that we make. And we've talked about this a little bit on the phone before, but I, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are out of our control Um, you know, sometimes your your socioeconomic, you know, situation, the weather, whatever whatever's out of your control, the people you run into who are energy vampires, sometimes you can't get away from them. Um, but there's a lot of things that are in our control. And for the things that are in our control, and a lot of those things are what do you eat? You know, what are you actually putting in your mouth? Now I know there's food deserts and other things out there that are difficult, but still we can sometimes make better choices. How much are we sleeping? Are we thinking too much about something when we could actually be spending more time either working out or sleeping or spending time with our friends? Um, I I just think time connects all of it. And then the final part about that um, is, what if you can can dilate this idea of what can I do in five or 10 years, which is really, really hard to do if you're gonna be specific about it. But if you make a long-term commitment to doing something, And you break that down to saying, okay, for instance, this book, I'll tell you a little story about this. I sucked at writing when I was in, uh, up until forever. Okay. So I, uh, unfortunately, when my mom passed away, I was in fourth grade. I never learned phonics very well. I was in remedial reading and writing for all of middle school and high school. I still can't spell very well. Thank you very much for all the ways that make it easier to spell. (laughs) (laughs) So when I decided a few years ago to write a book, I knew that would be way harder. I'm very, very good at math. I'm very, I have an incredible memory, which served me well as a doctor. But if you ask me to read or write very well, I am not very good at it. So I knew I was going to have to be disciplined. And so now every single day for five and a half years, I have written every single day. Okay. And so that discipline, if, 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 what, what is in the book now is way better than my writing five years ago. Now, I'm never, never going to be in danger of being Ernest Hemingway or some amazing writer, but I turned a weakness into at least something that I'm functional at. And so when people say I can't do something, I think it's more I don't want to do something. Because you can get better at almost anything with effort.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful thing right there. I can relate to that with the writing, even though I've been slacking a little bit with the writing in, in in that form. I guess now a lot of my writing is drafting and creating, like sometimes solo episodes or so. But it's still there's still something about writing a article mm-hmm. that um, that requires a different mode of thinking. And I had a streak much like yours where I did not see myself or fancy myself as a writer at all. And lo and behold, I got to a decent enough skill to, to start writing in journals and magazines, which was crazy to think about. And then you have people probably like in your life where they're like, wow, you wrote this. You know, I, I just, I think about when you couldn't write or anything, how'd you do this? You know, and you tell them and it's back to probably another one of the octagons, which is discipline.
0: Yeah, yeah, D- Doubling down on discipline is the second chapter in the book and part of what i call the vitality octagon and a lot of this i've learned from from people who've been part of my journey i've been very lucky to have a friend who's um former commander of navy seal team five his name's captain tom chavey 17 tours of duty in iraq and afghanistan um and you know, the discipline required to to be a Navy SEAL or the discipline required of the athletes that I've taken care of or the business people or the ordinary people who are going through extraordinary circumstances um, have all inspired me to, to realize that, you know, one of the foundational components of vitality is discipline. And we don't like to talk about that very much, but um, I think we cannot... Like I said before, Julian, I can't give you vitality, your Mm -hmm. government, your doctor, your brother, your mother, they can't grant it to you in a program. It's something you earn by making better choices with whatever resources and circumstances you have. And so Um, that's, there's great little anecdotes that I tried to include in there. Uh, the, the Duke women's basketball coach, you know, says, you know, you, you keep waiting for the easy bus. You want the easy bus to come around and pick you up. I love it. There's that video. If you look at, I forget what her name is, but if you Google Duke female or Duke women's basketball coach and easy bus, you'll see it. And she is, she's no nonsense. I mean, she's just like, yeah, you think it's going to get easy? No it's gonna get harder. So stop waiting for the easy bus and get the work done. Same thing happens with the, uh, the Navy SEALs. They have uh, a little saying, and I've got to, to go down to their training facility a few times. And you know, the, the, there's a sign that says, the only easy day was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's not an easy, smooth path pathway to vitality, but when you embrace the suck, as the SEALs like to say, you stay disciplined you reap rewards that are foundational and intrinsic to your overall well-being, and it can't be given to you by somebody else.
1: And I think something that helps with that also, which is kind of naturally ties into this as well, is the uh, is purpose. And so, purpose to some people, it's very intimidating. I guess I, I guess I've been lucky that I I found my I guess quote unquote purpose, or at least I've had some meaning of why and I do things and choose to go certain directions. But so if somebody, so that's surprisingly difficult for a lot of people. So when somebody probably reads that chapter or they think about like, hey, I don't know my purpose. I just go and do things. So how do you kind of guide people in there and finding their purpose?
0: Well, this has been a journey for myself, and I, I've been very lucky when I was probably 15, 16 years old. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. and I never deviated from that until... Even today, I really still feel very blessed to ha- have had a career as an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. And when I tried to understand purpose, I realized there's, there's massive data about how valuable it is. Okay, again, backing it up to say peer reviewed, published data, why do, I, why do I think purpose matters? And why do I suggest that you try to pinpoint your peak purpose in the Dare to be Vital book? And that is because it is insanely important. Now, what is missing in, in what I first couple, three years I was doing this, I got accused of purpose shaming. I was like, oh my God, you're shaming people because they don't know their purpose. Purpose and, shaming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's nasty. Okay. So I, 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 don't like to, I don't like to shame people for any, any reason mm-hmm. for any, any time, but literally some of my students were like, you know, you're shaming me because I don't know my purpose. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good thing. So then I had to come up with specific, like a sort of a recipe Or, or a framework, and so when when I say, okay, what is your purpose? People go, I don't know. I go, well, yeah, you do, because your purpose is really just a function of how you spend your your time and your energy. And I came up with this idea of a purpose equation, and I stole it a little bit from E equals MC squared, but (laughs) I call it purpose equals time multiplied by energy squared. So I spend about two third two thirds of my time now working as an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist and I bring as much energy as I possibly can to that and I spend about a third of my time working on my Vitality Explorer work for either Vitality Explorer Substack site or my courses or the book and I I try to bring an equivalent amount of energy even though it's a little bit less time uh, to that that work and so maybe my purpose is equivalently being a surgeon and being a, a Vitality Explorer Um, But when you think about that in the context of a busy person, say a mom or a dad who is shuttling around their kids to various doctor's appointments or sports things, they can think of themselves as a chauffeur or as I when I got to do that when my daughter was in in high school and middle school, um, I I would shuttle around her volleyball team to various practices or, or games and they kind of forget that dad's driving and they would start chatting or whatever. But I would try to bring my, even though it was maybe an hour or two of my time per week, I would try to bring my fully present energy to it and be the best dad I could be. I wasn't a chauffeur. I was trying to be an optimal dad during that time frame. So once you start doing this and I have a, a, a sort of a sheet that I have people fill out for a week of just how are you spending your time and how much energy you're bringing to those activities You know, one third of your time you're sleeping, probably, you know, one third of your time you're doing something else. And if you start to figure out on the margins, what do you enjoy doing more? What are you good at doing? What do you what brings you energy versus sucks your energy? Okay. What would you willingly do without compensation? Okay. And then I have specific ideas, this idea of daring greatly. Remember that the idea of like silencing the voice of judgment in your head, if you could get that little devil off your shoulder of screaming at you saying you couldn't do it, what would you do? Would you wanna colonize Mars? Would you wanna solve social injustice or climate change? What what crazy hairy idea would you want? Or are you gonna just dedicate yourself to taking care of your mom or dad who's succumbing to early onset Alzheimer's, which is as or more important than those you know, global important things, or taking care of a sick child, mm-hmm. uh, or solving a problem in your community? Um, but believe that you could do something awesome. And then it's it's back to a little bit, they're all connected. That's why I put it in the octagon. It's the discipline. It's about saying, if I don't know what my purpose is, I'm going to free up a thousand seconds a day, about 17 minutes. I like these little second challenges because people go, What's a thousand seconds? 17, minutes, <laughs> 17 I guarantee you, Julian, you and I are both, and I'm still doing it, wasting a thousand seconds a day. But if you repurpose Absolutely. those seconds, to saying, I'm gonna sit with a pen and a piece of paper and I'm going to sit in front of something and just what is my purpose? You know, what do I want to do? And what I try to get people to do is to boil it down to eight words or less. And the reason for that is that if you can be very succinct about how you define your purpose, it becomes a superpower. Let me explain. So if you know what your purpose is, you know how to say no more often, and you know how to say yes, emphatically. So no, I'm not going to do that. That has nothing to do with my what my purpose is. By the way, it's your most important modifiable vitality asset. So your, your purpose can change over time. So, you know, and it can have a personal and a professional purpose. You can literally change your purpose. You do. And if you, by the way, if you do not know what your purpose is, this is a little harsh, but it's true, is that somebody else will take your purpose from you. To apply it towards their dreams. Mm. And you do not want to be some, living somebody else's dream. You want to live your own dream. So defining your purpose helps you say, no, I don't want to do this. Yes, I will do that. It helps you live your most authentic, awesome life, um, but it is not easy and it's constantly in motion. Okay. So early on, it might be just to finish school, it might be to get a better job, it might be to you know, build your podcast audience to you know a million subscribers on, on YouTube or whatever it is. And I don't, I don't think it's wrong to be maniacal about trying to get to a purpose. Like I was maniacal about wanting to be a surgeon. And I think you have to have that sometimes if you're gonna do something very difficult. Um, but again, over time, you can change it. It became, I wanna be a great husband. I wanna be a great dad. I wanna be a great researcher. And, and now I would like to contribute as much as I can, not only to my day job, but also to enhancing global vitality one person at a time. This is, I'll tell you a a short little story. During the pandemic, um, you know, I've been working uh, on my class at Stanford, and they had me do it on Zoom for the first time, and I had done it in person. And then June of 2020, Stanford University said, well, can you do a vitality webinar? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that, no problem. I just finished my class, and um, I'm pretty comfortable with Zoom. People, you know, weren't. And they had like 1,400 people sign up for this thing, the, big, the most they'd ever had. And it went fine, got a lot of people sending some nice messages. And about a month later, the chemistry department at Stanford emailed me and they said, you know, we forgot it. We didn't get to go do it. We don't want to just watch the replay. Would you, Would you do a webinar for us? And I'm like, oh, I know a couple people there. It's a fantastic department. And they said, well, we only have 30 people. And I said, well, you know, I'm just basically going to do it again. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I did my hour long webinar and or set up to do it. And then, you know, an hour or 15 minutes, 20 minutes beforehand, somebody emailed me and said, oh, we only have seven people. We're going to be able to make it. Do you know, you still want to do it. I said, sure, let's do it. You know, um, it was awesome. And that's. Prior to that, my purpose I defined as enhance global vitality. It was really like grandiose. And that's when I put the little comma there, one person at a time, because the seven people that were on there, we had well, a total of eight of us. Um, we had an amazing hour. Every single one of them sent sent me a little email, said, thank you. This is what I got out of it. And I realized bigger is not better. You know, I, I hope I reached more than seven people when there were 1,400 people on the webinar. But I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't do it as well. And so, if if Julian, somebody, one, if just one person in your audience is listening to this today and they've learned from what you and I are talking about about you know how to work on your physical, mental, social, or spiritual well being, or is inspired to to go after their purpose, um, then I will have done my job.
1: And I, I I love that part. I might have to add that myself. One person at a time. I love that. Um, because it, it, it can get very grandiose when you, when, you, when you have that. And then like this, it, it boils it down. You get very precise and also allows you to focus more on the Nile.
0: Yeah, it does. Way. It does because, um, and, and I'm not unambitious about Vitality Explorers or, or the, the work that I'm doing. I'm very ambitious about it, but I think it needs to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in building something for the long, long term. And so I want to make sure the content that I develop is consistent. It's defensible. It's meaningful. Um, I want people to realize that I don't have it all figured out. I'm, again, that's why I call it Vitality Explorers, is that I hope to be able to be doing this for as long as I'm on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, and the con- the data is changing, right? The science is changing. The social situations are changing. Our environment is changing, right? So we, we've got to be able to adapt and come up with better ways to stay vital. So there's not going to be, you know, this tablet of stone. Like if you do this, you're going to be your most vital person. Um, and I love and hate that because that just means you've, you've got to be able to adapt, right? You've mm-hmm. got to be able to be nimble and pivot. And, and, and I think that's also important, Julian. You're actually inspiring me is that we're all, each one of us is changing, right? Physically, our social circumstances are changing, um, the people we interact with are changing, so we've got to learn how to not be concrete in how we approach life, but but a little bit more flexible in how we're trying to uh, optimize. Again, back to the time thing, you can see how these are all connected. Optimize whatever time we have remaining.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you know, speaking of time, I want to be I want to be very cognizant of that. You know, we're approaching the top of the hour here, and so. Um, there's a lot of things we could have talked about. Um, one thing I am going to mention, um, cause you have an awesome sub stack with articles as well. And so one of the, in, one of the interesting articles that I highlighted was that exercise c- can stimulate uh, anti-cancer cells. Yeah. And what was cool about that was, I believe it was 10 minutes on the exercise bike yeah. to start to stimulate these natural killer cells in your blood. So it's not even something that requires you to do a crazy amount of exercise to start reaping some of the benefits.
0: Yeah, that one is fascinating. It's a very recent article. And they looked at breast cancer patients and patients with lymphoma, which is sort of a type of blood cancer. And those type of patients sometimes can't exercise very well, they're fatigued, they're, they have cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the details, I think, are important. They, they basically put a little IV catheter in, they drew their blood they put them on an exercise bike for 10 minutes and they drew their blood again. And then they looked at these immune cells, one of which is, it's got a great name, the natural killer cell, but it's a type of white blood cell that is designed to attack things like cancer cells and those were significantly increased 130 percent, I think, if I got if I remember correctly, in just 10 minutes. So one of, one of the things I have to do a lot of, Julian, is to stop people from what I call binging at the buffet of excuses. Oh, I don't have enough time to do this. That's too hard to do. So if somebody tells me that, and it was it was it wasn't even hard. We're talking about moderate, not severe, not you know, not like a Peloton class or you know, SoulCycle class. We're talking about mild to moderate 10 minutes on a bike matters. And and what's what's key about exercise, and I know you know this because you do it. But some people they're a little allergic to it. But you got to get little micro doses. It's okay. Absolutely. You don't have to go forty-five minutes back, chest, knees. You know, run. You know, that kind of stuff. If you just spent ten minutes a day on an exercise bike, that's light years better than doing nothing. And I'm I'm hoping that some of the scientific data, and in that particular paper, they didn't talk about whether or not exercise can prevent cancer that's very very hard to prove because mm-hmm. you know, things happen over time but when i read that i'm like hmm why why wouldn't riding a bike for 10 or 20 minutes potentially decrease mm-hmm. at least logically decrease your risk if you're boosting up these immune cells instead of getting like a stem cell injection this is the one thing i say about people who come to see me all the time well can i get a stem cell injection i go yeah you can just get on a bike for 20 minutes what, what? well when you ride a bike your stem cells from your bone marrow And they're in your spleen and other places, they get mobilized. So give yourself a stem cell injection again. They they don't like that. But but it's actually scientifically true. And one of the one of the core components, I'm not against farm farm hour surgery, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking for non-pharmacologic ways, um, and ironically, non-surgical ways to enhance your vitality. And there's so many, so many things that are relatively low-hanging fruit, like 10 minutes on an exercise bike
1: absolutely and the last question here just for fun because i'm curious i don't have a winter sport yet that i do so should i take up skiing or snowboarding
0: so i actually used to teach a class on ski and snowboarding (laughs) injury prevention at stanford and so here's here's the deal um i i'm a skier so i i lean that way the snowboarders are knuckle draggers who you know um can sometimes hurt skiers um but you have to pick your poison here. So look, people who ski injure their knees uh, and lower extremities. People who are snowboarders have a risk of injuring their arms and upper extremities. Um, and so uh, I, as a surgeon, I, I did try to go boarding and I spent more more time on my butt and my back than I did on, on my board. Um, and so I, I've, I've stuck with the two little sticks versus the big board. Um, either one is an enormous amount of fun. Mm-hmm. If you're outdoors, maybe we can finish with this is. Being outdoors in nature, whether it's skiing, snowboarding, hiking, taking a walk and, you know, just around anything is a very, very important thing to do. Um, there's actually data now about where people live with access to certain parks is, is a measurement of their overall well-being. So we, we need to, we need to make, you know, make that more available for people who don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of us who do have access to it. We should take advantage of it and even or especially if it's cold outside we didn't have enough time to talk about this today but Mm -hmm. cold exposure is really an important vitality enhancer because in order to maintain your core temperature which basically you have to to survive you will preferentially build up your core temperature instead of feeding the flames of inflammation so i've become addicted to the cold um I, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, you you look like you might have more fun snowboarding Okay. and uh, and, and snowboarding. were you a skateboarder at all?
1: No, uh -uh, no, just uh, basketball. Basketball was mainly the sport.
0: Okay. Um, Anyway, I like skiing more than snowboarding, but either one's going to be fun.
1: Well, I put enough on my body on my lower body. So um, I think my upper body probably can handle a little more attrition at this time than my lower body with all the running and everything I do. So, um, so yeah, I think I'm going to go with snowboarding.
0: Awesome. You know, Dylan, <laughs> this has been really fun. I, I know you do a lot of great work with executives and, and a lot of other people. And um, I'm, I'm hoping long term we can stay in touch and, and mm-hmm. potentially collaborate. And I want to learn more from what, uh, the work you've been doing. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you for taking time to do this. I know you're a man in demand and quite busy these days. And so lastly, where can, where, where can listeners keep up with you and uh, go check out more of your work at?
0: Yeah, so you can see VitalityExplorers.com. And what I try to do is make a lot of things as free as possible. But that's a text message uh, newsletter that comes to your phone once a week with links to the stuff I do on VitalityExplorers.Substack.com. Or just if you just Google Vitality Explorers, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book that I have, Dare to be Vital, can be found on Amazon. um, And it's, it's really eight or nine lessons or a framework on how to live your most vital life. And I think the, the, the message that I'd like to leave with people is that just no matter where, what stage you are, you know, teenager, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 year old, even or especially if you're facing significant or severe adverse environment or situation, you can still be vital. Um, I put it in the book, but one of my best friends unfortunately passed away two years ago from ALS. But he lived one of the most vital lives for the last two years of his life, and he inspired me to realize that no matter what our circumstances are, we can do something to make it better or make it better for the people around us. So uh, I hope that message resonates with your audience.
1: That's a great way to end this. And so listeners, until next time, stay awesome, be limitless, and as always, go be the CEO of your health and your life.